Hey, this is Chris Lockwood, and you're listening to the Chris Lockwood Podcast, Alive. In a Welcome to the Chris Lockwood Podcast, where we have the privilege of hearing from people just like you and me who are seeking, learning, growing, striving to better understand just what it means to be fully alive and how that translates in the day-to-day. Well, hey friends, welcome back to the Chris Lockwood Podcast. I am none other than Chris Lockwood, and I'm glad you're here. It honors me when you show up and listen, and I hope to honor you by continually providing inspiring and empowering content to help you move towards a life of significance and fulfillment. Well, today's podcast is a special one. Uh, I've been really looking forward to sitting down with my next guest for quite some time. Uh, She and I go back a few years because we've done some touring together doing music, But that's not what we're talking about today. Although we will get a backdrop to her life, where she's from, family life, and so on, we're more so focusing on her journey over the last couple of years. So imagine one day suddenly feeling sick to your stomach with significant pain, and you go to the doctor only to discover, to your surprise, that you have stage 4 colon cancer. And then shortly thereafter, on top of the colon cancer, being told that you also have thyroid cancer. And all of this is happening at the very young age of 30. That's what happened to my friend Amanda Wilcox Patterson. Uh, Her life was really just beginning, and suddenly she is faced with the brutal realities of how very fragile life is and how fast it can come and go. Uh, Though this is a story of pain, uh, sometimes fear, as you can imagine, uh, it's also at the risk of sounding cliche, a story of faith, hope, and love. And what's made her story so compelling is not just the poise and strength with which Amanda has shown, but her willingness to be very open and authentic over social media has been a breath of fresh air, especially in the middle of all the unraveling that seems to be taking place in the world around us. Uh, People from all walks of life have come together to show love and support for Amanda, and it's been a beautiful thing to watch. Uh, The tears she cried, we cried. The pain she felt made us hurt for her, and the hope she reflected gave us hope as well. Uh, I don't want to take up too much time because I want you to hear from her, but I'm so blessed to have had the opportunity to sit down and talk with Amanda. Uh, A couple of things. The table and mic didn't like each other, so there's going to be some noise from it here and there. Uh, Also, the neighborhood lawn care team stops by outside for a brief moment, Uh, but other than that, I think you're really going to love your time with Amanda. So that being said, let's move on. Here she is, the lovely Amanda Wilcox Patterson. Lily's really upset. She's not with us right now. <laughs> Is that her? Okay. I thought that was the, uh, nope, the stuff Lily. outside. All right, so we're going to dive in. Amanda Noel Wilkinson. Wilkinson <laughs> Patterson. The first. The first. Oh my gosh. The eighth. How are you? I'm good. How are you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. Are you? Yeah. Are you still training or, or like doing your recovery workouts and stuff like that? I have stopped and they were awesome and incredible, but I have exercise induced asthma and mm-hmm. I was 
doing so much that like you in my last session I couldn't the next morning I could barely breathe oh um, wow and it was awesome and it was incredible and the guy was just they have this program it's for survivors and they go through and it's a 12-week program and they literally just help you gain strength back yeah and I've never really done anything like that I've never tried to do pull-ups or like, really yeah I've never really I mean I've, I've ran and I've done like Pilates and I've done real girly stuff uh-huh. and I ran track in high school but I haven't try, ever tried to do like strength training stuff. Yeah. And I was like, man, I'm really, really weak. Oh my gosh. I'm, I was really weak. So he worked really well with me. Um, and then the last session I woke up and I just, I couldn't breathe and I decided that I was strong enough. So you, have you had that your whole life? I have, um, but I've pretty much known my limit. Right. Um, I think because you know there were so many other things going on that I kind of forgot that that was even still something that existed. Yeah. I couldn't breathe, and I called the doctor, and he was like, "Do you have asthma?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, I think I do <laughs> I actually. I forgot about that." And he was like, "Yeah, that could be your issue. That could be your problem." I was like, "Yeah, yeah, that is my problem." Awesome. Yeah, I um, people make fun of me because of the amount of running that I do. But like, if you want to get better, you do the strength training and all that, and I hate it. Like. It's the worst. It's not an asthma problem. I just hate it. And I, so I'm so weak, too. Like, when it comes to any of that, I'm like, eh, I just, I can't stand it. Before we jump into, like, um, to the past couple of years, mm-hmm. like, I wanted to at least give people a backdrop, like, where you're from, who yeah. you are, your story leading up. And we, not, we don't have to stay in that for too long. But um, but I do want to know, like, where you grew up and where life started and, yeah. and all that. Um, I was actually born in Omaha, but when I was three, um, my parents and all of my four brothers and sisters and I moved to um, Kentucky, and I grew up there in a very small, tiny, tiny baby town, and uh, my dad was a worship pastor. He also sold life insurance, and my mom (laughs) tried to uh, run after and take care of five tiny baby children oh my god yeah there was five of us within seven years i don't know what they were thinking they weren't thinking really there was way oh too many gosh. yeah there was a lot so the oldest one was seven when the youngest one was born where do you fall in the line i'm the fourth okay out of five okay so i grew up there is that considered middle child like uh you know i don't i think there's so many that it's not really considered yeah. anything it's just it's chaos just, it's just i'm the chaotic yeah. child i think What's funny is that we have another set of friends and they had five boys and it was really weird because personality wise, they all lined up with every single one of us. Mm-hmm. So the fourth one was like wild and crazy and all over the place. And she was like, can you help me? You were the fourth. You were like this. I just don't even know what to do with him. And I was like, you just let him run. Just let him go crazy. But it was just really weird because all the personalities lined up with their numbers how and how they were born, yeah. which is so funny. I saw a picture of you guys, and you said something about in a post about how you guys fought mm. and all that stuff. Oh, like tons. Ella, my oldest, and my my middle child William, who's four and a half, and she's eight. Um, they're like at each other's throats, mm-hmm. and it just started happening. So, like, was that? Did you guys just live that out as long as you were together? Was oh yeah, because you're also close in age. Yeah, we are, and. So they go, it goes uh, boy, girl, 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 boy. And so then the three girls were all teenagers and living in the same space at the same time, which was terrible. And then we ended up sharing rooms a lot. And it was, it was, (laughs) 
chaotic. Like, we just, we never thought that we would be friends. And we were like, oh, we just happened to be birthed from the same parents. We're, we hate this. Yeah. But when we left home, when all of a sudden we realized there's a whole other world and there was no, like, pressure to have to get along all the time, yeah. we actually all became really good friends. Yeah, I, um, I had um, one of my closest friends growing up. He and his sister were twins. And when they left home, it was a lot, a lot like that where they were just done. And then now they're very close. Yeah. They love each other. But mm-hmm. Night and day. Mm-hmm. Uh, what interests and hobbies did you have growing up? Um, I played soccer. I ran track. I sang in choir. I mean, I, my whole family sings. So we started singing. I think the first time I stood on the stage, I was four or five. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my whole family sang growing up. We did that forever so oh, I was wow. in every choir every singing class um everybody all brothers and sisters all of us oh, that's yeah. great. and then my grandparents aunts and uncles cousins I didn't know people couldn't sing for the longest time because <laughs> then all of my friends growing up all sang too because yeah. you know you meet people in choirs and stuff so then I, I honestly for a long time didn't know people couldn't sing um and what else did I do I dated a lot <laughs> <laughs> when I was awesome. in high school, um, my parents loved that, um, and then I was really involved in church. Yeah, mm-hmm. was there like um, anybody, like I guess was it your dad that maybe inspired the singing and the music, or was it a it was not a experience? Co- a combination, probably. My parents both sing, mm-hmm. and they have been singing together like as a duet forever. Oh wow! In churches and all kinds of stuff. And my dad has been leading worship since he was about 20 years old. How cool. So they they got married. My mom was 18 and my dad was 21, I believe. Um, and they immediately moved to Omaha, Nebraska, where my dad was a worship pastor of a big church out there for years and years and years. And that's where we were all born. And I think, um, you know, his desire to sing and to lead birthed in all of us. Right. Um, and we learned it. I mean, we learned harmony and learned singing with other people from... You know, the time we were little. It's amazing you guys aren't like a big Southern gospel. <laughs> we actually too. called a what were we called? I don't even know. We actually used to sing at different churches and stuff as the Wilcox family, and I was like, oh my gosh, it sounds so a, big. This sounds so big. It's a story that like I'm gonna tell my children. That's a money maker. Oh, it's still not too late. You know. <laughs> But you love your brothers and sisters, so maybe you want to protect that. I do. I want to protect their sanity as well as my own. When, uh, I mean, is it fair to say that music has been the goal for most of your life? Um, I think, and this is probably a whole other, you know, subject and tangent, but I think it was told to be my goal Mm. from the time that I was little. And when I was 10, my sisters and I sang at church together for the first time. And there was a private benefactor. We, I still to this day don't know who it is, but he donated $10,000 for us to start a group together and record an album. Oh, wow. I know, right? I was like... So it's like you're going to sing whether you like it or not. Basically. <laughs> and I obviously, I loved singing, but that's just who I was. Yeah. I was part of the Wilcox family. We all sang. We all... That's what we did. And... I don't ever remember having this like intense, crazy passion. I had dreams and, you know, aspirations, but that was never something I came up with on my own. Yeah. Uh, my family did it. And so when we moved to Nashville the day I graduated high school, me and my sisters, because we were still a part of that group, um, I, even spiritually, I was 18. I didn't, so how long did you do that? 
Um, with just my sisters, we did it until I was 21. Okay. So for from 10 to 21. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's probably while. where a lot of the fighting yeah. came in too, because we were together all the time all day long. So we, um, I spiritually was a child. I mean, I was a child, but even spiritually was a child. I didn't understand what a relationship was. And then I moved straight from my parents' house to a, a house where I had my sisters who acted as parents. Mm. And I didn't know myself. I didn't know who I was or who I was apart from who I had been um, and apart from what people labeled us to be. And I think by the time we were 21, we had had two or three different record companies that would sign us and then drop us and then management that came and left and then, you know, so many broken promises Mm -hmm. as it it always happens in Christian world, well, in music world, really. And so by the time I was 21, I was just done. I was over it. I didn't want to do it ever again. I was done doing music forever. Mm -hmm. So I moved with my best friend when I was 21, which is a great idea, to L.A., (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, which you can never get into trouble in LA when you're 21. And I, what's hilarious is that I really didn't do anything crazy while mm. I was there, but spiritually I was dead. Yeah, I was just numb. And I, you were dead before you went there. Oh yeah. So going there just made it worse yeah. because I think there's no accountability there, yeah. none whatsoever, and nobody cares what you do. So. Um, there is this entire society and it's kind of what, you know, our world is coming to now, but you accept everything. So no matter what you do, no matter how bad or how good or how awful or how whatever, everybody says, it's okay. You do what you have to do. We're not going to judge. We're not going to anything and you don't judge anybody else and keep anybody else accountable either. And so I think there's this. I was 21 and I needed direction and I needed leadership and yeah. I needed mentorship and I didn't have anything. Mm. Church there, especially back then, was non-existent. Mm. I mean, it, there really wasn't anything. Even when you went to church, it was all about who you know and who they know and who, who can do for you what they can. You know, it was it was yeah. all about who you know. And when I went there, obviously I stopped doing music. I wasn't acting. I was I was working at a, at a law firm, and I didn't. I was so lost. Mm-hmm. Like, I was completely lost. And I remember just sitting in church one day and being really upset because I realized I hadn't actually let myself feel the hurt of giving up everything. I mean, I had a full ride to college and giving all of that up to go do Christian music, to get turned down a million times and in three years not do anything and then move somewhere and then not have real any real friends, any real family, yeah. any real anything have no aspirations, have no dreams and no goals, and I'm stuck in this terrible place. And I I just remember being mad at God for the first time probably ever in my life because I didn't know that I could be. And I I was in my car one day just driving to work because it's L.A. and it takes 82 hours to drive to work. (laughs) Two miles down the road. Yes. And I just yelled. And I was mad. I mean, I, like, yelled for a long time. Mm about everything and what's funny is that even looking back now I didn't really have anything to yell about I didn't really have anything to be mad about my life wasn't terrible nothing terrible had happened it just turned out different than I thought it would and it was interesting because that day I think actually started a dialogue where 
it was always like God was up here in the clouds and I was talking and if he gives you blessings and he likes you and then if he doesn't then he doesn't like you mm-hmm. and that's not God at all obviously yeah. but that's my whole view that's how I grew up and how I understood it to be but then that day after I yelled at God something changed the situation didn't change but I did yeah. and I think it was because I was willing to be honest and actually have a real conversation for the first time with God and so I, I started doing that every day hmm. and just having a conversation and just saying Lord I'm mad about this I'm angry about this what do I do about this and then it it actually became a dialogue and after a while I started to hear back which is real weird yeah that's real creepy and that's not I mean nobody really <laughs> talks about that so I was having a real relationship with God I think for the first time and figuring out even what that was and then through that figuring out who I was mm. and then very quickly after that I realized obviously LA was not the place that I needed to be and I was still struggling and still trying to figure out you know what's good what's bad what's terrible but what am I right. in that process and I um moved back to Nashville and I moved back in with one of my sisters and after I moved back to Nashville I got a job at an accounting firm I was still struggling still trying to find the direction I had gotten my heart completely smashed into a million pieces by a guy who was a Christian artist um, who claimed a lot of things and promised a lot of things and didn't deliver anything mm-hmm. and I, so again I was just very jaded um, and I <laughs> started talking to a friend of mine who worked at a management company and she was like hey I know this is really weird but we would really love for you and your sister and um, another girl to start a girls group and do Christian music and I was like "Uh, absolutely not (laughs) I did that like I went through that process I, I, I did that already no thank you that's the worst thing you could ever offer me ever she was like well just just think about it like just pray about it and and just come back and let me know and I was like I don't have to I can already let you know <laughs> I just did I just did this is not gonna work she was like well just promise me you'll pray about it and I was like okay <laughs> not happening so I had been going through a book by Priscilla Shire called um, oh, what is it called uh, discerning the voice of God and I had been learning to try to understand and he, not just um, not just talk to God, but also try to listen, yeah. just as I had been doing in L.A. And so it, it gave a couple different ways that you can actually hear. And uh, one of those was scripture. One of those was uh, through pastors. And one of those was through leadership and mentorship. Um, and one of those was just like sitting and listening. And I started sitting and listening. And... I I probably was, it was more me than God at that point because I was like, no, God doesn't want me to do this. Like, I did this already. I went down this road, not happening. We've already discovered yeah, this. Yeah, I already discovered this. And so then um, I went to church, and that Sunday the pastor was like, so I know this is really weird, and I don't normally do this, but I just have to say that there's somebody searching for what they're supposed to do. And that uh, the Lord is saying you need to walk forward. And I've never, I had never heard him say something like that before. And I was like, he's not talking to me. That's ridiculous. (laughs) 
And so then I went to a grocery store the next week. And this is the weirdest part to me. But I went to a grocery store that week. And this lady comes up to me in the checkout line. And she was like, I know this is really strange. And I don't ever do this. But God was like talking to me about you. And he wanted me to tell you to walk forward. And I was like, no, he didn't. <laughs> he didn't, though. Like, Are you reading my email? I think that you're mistaken. I think you're all wrong. And so I, I just completely, you know, put the walls up over and over wow. again. Because I was like, no, I'm not doing that. This random person. Random person. I had no idea who it was. Yeah. Never seen her since. Don't even know. I honestly don't even remember what she looks like. But I remember exactly what she said. She was like, you know, the Lord is asking you to walk forward. <laughs> and so then I got home and I was reading scripture. And I was like, okay, Lord, like... I'm going to read scripture. Like, I'll just go through all the steps. I'm going to read the scripture. And so there's this verse in Isaiah. And, of course, it's the first thing that I turn to. And it just says, I have called you to stand on a mountaintop and to sing praises to my name. And I was like, no! Like, no! This is not what I signed up for. Like, I have a good job. I make good money. I have good benefits. I can actually retire (laughs) one day. And um, I just sat there and I was like, okay, Lord. All right, I, if this is really what you want me to do, I, but I had no passion. Like, why would you call me to something that I have zero passion for? Yeah. And then I sat down and I was like, okay, Lord, like, all right, I'm just going to walk forward. I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to say, okay, because obviously, clearly, this is what you have for me. And you've never made it more plain than anything else in my life what did um what did you have passion for nothing yeah i mean so it was like we had no in the uh i guess in the vacuum of having no purpose or no passion it was like well at least let me give me give you something absolutely (laughs) yeah so i sat there that night and i i just prayed and i was like okay lord i'm just gonna i'm just gonna walk forward that was real scary, and I don't want to, but I'm just going to give up. Yeah. And so I did, and I remember waking up the next morning, also real weird, and I just had this passion. How funny, yeah. That I'd never had before. Not yeah. just for music, but like for Christian music, to do ministry. Yeah. Which, as we all know, there's no money. <laughs> there's no fame. Oh, Jimmy. There's no real success. Yeah. And it's interesting because that's ministry is the one of the only lines of work where you're not promised any of that and you probably won't get any of that but it's the most rewarding yeah so i did that and i i started walking forward and my sister and i and another girl danielle yeah um how long had you guys known danielle we had she auditioned um to be part of the group yeah Um, so we we picked her because she was ridiculously good and I uh, signed with the management company, and we did the same thing that my sisters did. We, we signed with a label and signed with a booking agent and all kinds of other stuff really quickly. Yeah. Who was the label with? Um, that's a great question. Was that, didn't you guys, well, but it was after Danielle was gone. You guys did a Seattle thing, right? We did, but this was way before that. This oh, was when we first started. Okay. Like, we had a label deal. We had... We had everything. Um, and then about six months into it, they came back and said, we we made a mistake. We don't think you're a good fit for us. So then they dropped us. And You're then, like, here we go again. I know. So then that made the booking agent drop us. And then the management company just stopped working. Yeah. Like, they just stopped doing anything for a long time. Wow. 
And so finally, like I was so frustrated. And, and again, I had that conversation with the Lord where I was like, what the crap? Like, really? I gave up a good job with, you know, that basically set up my life for what? Why, why are we even here yeah. again where I'm having to claw and scrape my way through? If you call me, you're supposed to make my way clear. Like, mm. I don't understand. And it's so funny because I remember very clearly the Lord saying, but who are you now? Mm. Who are you now? Interesting. And I was like, I'm Amanda. I'm your daughter. I am yeah. who you have called me to be. And he's like, exactly. You had something very consistent and very safe, but you didn't know who you were. Yeah. Because you didn't know who I was. Hmm. So when you started to get to know me, you started to figure out who you were. And now you're more content than you've ever been, even though the waves are crazier than they've ever been. Mm. And I was like, all right, cool. So, <laughs> cool, but the, cool beans. So I'm just going to walk the over. paycheck, where's that hey, at? Yeah, where's that at? Where's the right at? I don't understand. So for eight years, wow, eight, eight years, maybe a little bit less than that, um, we did Kimber Rising. Yeah. And we scraped and we worked and we made zero money. I mean, I think in eight years, I maybe made five or $6,000 a year. And thankfully, rent was cheap. I wasn't married. I didn't have babies. I didn't have stuff I had to pay for. Um, were you working? You were obviously working in between, right? I, yeah, I was doing random like marketing stuff in between and just getting jobs here and there. Yeah. I never had like a, ever a consistent job mm-hmm. because I knew I was supposed to be doing this full time. Mm-hmm. And it was tough. Yeah, it's amazing just thinking back on that. Like how... Um, I mean, of course... Of course, you guys were trying to work in the middle of the digital age, destroying the mm-hmm. music industry. And yep. so, like, labels and people like I mean, companies like that are already freaking out and mm-hmm. scared to death to hi- sign anybody. Um, but it's amazing with the talent that you guys had that, like, nothing ever panned out. I mean, to say nothing ever panned out, you guys still had an audience and you mm-hmm. still got to do it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of people that don't get the audience. Yeah, they don't even had. get the option. Yeah. So, um, but it is kind of weird how no one really bit. They didn't. And I, again, that was just something that, I mean, <laughs> I journaled every day mm. and wrote and told the Lord how mad I was every day. And it was so interesting because I started, I read, I even just read this the other day that was so hilarious, but it just talked about how God is dangerous and that how we feel like because he's dangerous, there's no trust. Mm. But we know that he's good, and we don't even have to question the goodness, mm. but our fear comes from the distrust from the danger. And that walking forward means that our path is not clear. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly how I felt for that whole amount of time. Yeah. I didn't understand. And I got to the end um, of Kimber, and it just dissolved, and there was a whole bunch of other crap that happened. Um, we had a, Danielle, um, wasn't, wasn't in it. She left, uh, you know, a few years before the group actually ended and moved to Atlanta to be with her brother. And obviously we still love her. She's still awesome. There was a couple other members and one of the members we had just signed with a label, had just done, oh, you know, we were working on an album 
they had probably spent twenty or thirty thousand on us already. Gosh. And we were he had just made a music video and then we get home from, you know, two weeks of touring and she says, Guys, I can't do it, sorry, I'm leaving. And I was like, What what? <laughs> what? Like, we had just gotten to a place where, you know, somebody else was believing in us. Yeah. And she says, deuces, I'm out. Like, sorry, can't do it. And uh, I just sat and I just cried. And I felt so defeated. And then I was like, well, I mean, if the Lord has called me, he's called me. So I'm going to do it by myself. Yeah. So I did it by myself and I stayed with that same When did, when was that? That was three or four years ago? Yeah, that was 2013. Okay. Um, so I came out with a solo record in 2013, and um, which I remember the single being really cool. There was a couple of them, but I the one that there was one. I think maybe it was the lead off that you had for a video. Did you do a video or something? Mm-hmm. It was really bigger cool. than your fears. Yeah, I was really proud of that. Yeah, and you know what's weird? It's it's such an eclectic record like there's so many different types of songs and even now the feedback they're like wait but this song is this way and this song's a ballad and this song is like a crazy dance song i loved it i i got to like go through and pick and write and it was i was really really proud of it Mm. um and then i it's yours it was mine it was my baby man i like i mean for a year toiled and slaved and it was my baby and i worked with a guy named paul shearer who wrote with me and just believed in me and recorded everything and he was the producer and he was so crazy talented and it was awesome mm. like it was a really cool process and uh, so we got that record done and there's a whole other side that I won't get into but they just didn't market it well yeah. so it didn't really do anything um, and I didn't know after that point what I was going to do so I had started leading worship at a church um a few years before that, worship was never something I thought I would do because my dad did it, and I was never that into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had asked me to start leading, and so I, I had done it, and then I started get to get a passion for that too. Yeah. And so I had been leading there, and um, somebody saw me lead worship at that church and came up and asked me if I wanted to lead worship for something called Girls of Grace. Okay. So it's um, not Women of Faith? No. Okay. Mm-hmm. Girls of Grace, and it was started by Point of Grace. Mm. It was a girls' conference, so it was a teen girls' conference. It was awesome. Yeah. Like, um, like everything you ever dream of. You ride on a bus, and then you set up merch, and people actually buy merch, which is awesome. And <laughs> um, and I got to like lead worship to thousands of teenage girls and just help them find Jesus. Mm-hmm. That was spectacular. Yeah. Are you one of many or are you the main? I was the main That's worship awesome. leader wow. on, the, uh, on the conference. So I did two seasons of that, which nobody knew who I was. Like mm. they, um, my friend Jason Jenkins, who uh, works at Word Records, but he took such a huge chance with me mm. and it was amazing. And then um, after that, I, uh, Natalie Grant came to my church and um, I'd met her a few times just through church and she contacted me and she was like, hey, I'm looking for another background singer. Um, would you be interested? And I was like, oh, let me think about it. Yes, I would be. Um, <laughs> your name is Natalie. Your name is what? Natalie. What? <laughs> I've been listening to you since I was like 10, but I'm not going to tell you that. Because, That's awesome. You know. So I started singing with her and it was breathtaking. I mean, she's just ridiculously talented. So incredibly talented. Um, so I, I was doing that. I was leading worship for Girls of Grace. I was leading worship for my church. And I felt like I was on cloud nine. Mm-hmm. 
Like finally, after stopping all the stuff that I've been trying to do, I just stopped trying and all of a sudden all this stuff yeah. you know, came my way. And I was, man, I was riding high. I felt really amazing. And I felt like I was finally doing what I was called to do. Mm. Um, and then I, uh, it was October of 2014, which I can't believe it's been that long. You want me to just go straight into it? Yeah, I mean... The other I mean, questions you had before we get there? <laughs> you, you pretty much took care of all of them. <laughs> I didn't have to There's ask There's one thing I know how to do. It's talk. I love it. You're the perfect podcast guest. <laughs> um, no, I mean, like, up to this point, I mean, it was hard mm-hmm. from your perspective. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, like, no. a terrible life. Not at all. You know what I mean? It was a yeah. I didn't know when life. I was going to pay the rent, but that was also my choice. Yeah. And... I didn't know, you know, there's so many unknowns. I, because I toured and traveled for such a long time, I, I didn't meet anybody. I didn't get married. Hmm. I was getting older. Um, and I was, was that a desire? Was that not anything you were really thinking about? It was a desire. Um, and that's probably something we can get into later, but I attracted all the wrong people hmm. and it, it was definitely a desire, but I didn't understand how to get exactly what I wanted or even really to figure out exactly what I wanted because what I wanted was the opposite of what I was attracting. Right. And I didn't understand. And so I had a lot of broken hearts, a lot of people that promised and left. Mm. Um, and so it's, it was, it was difficult from my perspective, but I think that's every obstacle that we all always face. It's right. difficult from our perspective and it's not going to be easy. Mm. Um, so, you know, that's kind of... So, you go... Okay, in the beginning, I told you I'm a stalker. Everybody that's <laughs> listening, I do my research online. I've spent the last two days staring at Amanda's Facebook page. Super creepy. <laughs> <laughs> so creepy. Super creepy. Um, so, like, but I remember, um, I remember seeing your first post. Mm-hmm. And the first post is you lying in bed with a big smile on your face. Mm-hmm. Tell me, before you got to the hospital, what happened? What led to you even going to the doctor? So Natalie and Girls of Grace decided to take a break for the summer. And I, um, thankfully, for the first time probably ever in the last, you know, since doing music, didn't necessarily have to get a job, but I didn't want to sit bored forever. So I, my um, sister's boyfriend at the time, um, told me about this juice bar that he knew was op- was a uh, hiring and opening, and so I went and interviewed and started working that day. Which um, that seems to be your drug. Oh yeah, <laughs> which well, is a good I, one. I watched the documentary um, "Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead." It was so good, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I am fat, sick, and nearly dead." Um, n- you're not really, but you feel like you are after watching that, yeah. and. Um, so I went and interviewed. Wait, wait. Before you move on, documentaries. I'm a vegetarian, yeah. part vegan because of Food Inc. Uh-huh. and Forks Over Knives. Yep. Because it's not that I don't love the taste of a good hamburger, but I watched those documentaries I and I was like, they get you. Every I can't time. ever go back. I know to that. I know. So um, it's awesome and terrible because then you're not eating all this awesome food, but then. You're living, yeah. so... <laughs> You're not dying, David. Yeah, it's, it's a good trade-off. I totally get the documentary thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm moving on. So I started working there, and it was it was awesome. I mean, there was I was only working, I think, like 20 hours a week, but 
there was this beautiful family there and it was this uh, it was the first store and now I think there's 137 juice bars um, just around the country but it was the first store and I just met some really incredible people um, and there was this guy that came in the first time I was there and he was in penny loafers and a bow tie and uh, I mean that's not all he was in thankfully he had, he had <laughs> suit on and regular clothes uh, that would and I'll been, never forget him yeah I'll never forget him again <laughs> so no but he um, apparently worked across the street but everybody knew him yeah. he came in all the time and, and I was surprised because he was real nice mm-hmm. I was like huh that's weird a guy is really nice um, anyway, so I started working there in May and, um, in the beginning of September, um, he asked me out on a date hmm. and, uh, I was actually talking to someone else, talking in quotations, whatever that means. Yeah. Another guy that was from my church that was pretty much terrible. And, um, <laughs> so they, so uh, Reed asked me out and I was like yeah crap oh wait and then so then after he left I was like I can't go like I'm talking to somebody else I can't go out with two guys at one time that's terrible or can I or can I but no <laughs> I can't so I, I texted him later that night and I was like I'm so sorry I'm actually talking to somebody I should have said that but I don't think that it would be okay for me to go out with two people at one time and I was expecting him to be like wait what like why did you say yes but he was like oh well that's okay. I just won't wait so long next time to ask you out. Yeah. I was like, wait, huh? Wait, there's a next time? Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> so much confidence, which was weird. But he was just, he was just not, not my type. Yeah. I'd always only ever dated musicians. Cause yeah. That's what I was. That's what I was comfortable right. with. So, um, a couple of weeks later, the other guy obviously didn't pan out. And, um, my coworker was definitely conspiring, but she was like, hey, go take this juice cleanse we have left over to Reed's house. And I was like, what? I'm not doing that. <laughs> like, that's weird. She was like, no, I already mm-hmm. told him, you know, I just told him somebody would be dropping it off. And I was like, okay, wink, wink. I see what you're doing. So I went over and dropped it off to his house, but we ended up talking for like an hour. And um, at the end, he was like, hey, so are you still like talking to the other guy? And I was like, no, I'm not. And he was like, oh, well, great, because I already made reservations for us for Wednesday, so I hope that you're free to go out on a date with me. And I was like, hmm, well, more confidence. Um, (laughs) Free food, sure. Uh, This is real weird. I don't really know what to think about it. So we started going out on a date and started going out on a a date, dates, multiple. Um, And it was so different. It was weird. Yeah. He wasn't trying to impress me. He wasn't trying to pretend he was something he wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't trying to win me over with charm and music and... Yeah, do you think, like, the uh, the difference in, like, you know, him being total different background and mm-hmm. profession and... Yeah. Just something else to talk about. Absolutely. perspective on life. I actually thought for a while that that was a detriment because... Mm-hmm. We didn't have anything in common. Mm-hmm. I thought we didn't. Um, he had a big boy job and made big boy money, mm-hmm. and I was a very poor musician, yeah. and um, I was happy. 
being there, really. And I just, I assumed that we just weren't going to be on the same page, and I, I probably stifled it for a while mm-hmm. and didn't give him any real any indication that I was actually interested. Um, and I made him work real hard. Yeah. And I think, especially after the, the, that past guy, I sat down and had a conversation with him, and I don't know what happened, but it was this, just this turn of events that all of a sudden, after dating that last guy, the Lord was like, what are you doing? Yeah. You realize that you're worth so much more than hmm. you understand that you are. Yeah. So you're attracting the wrong kind of guys because you don't really understand what you're worth. So you're not demanding that they act the way that they should be acting hmm. because you're accepting the love you feel like you deserve. Yeah. But what I'm telling you is that no matter how you act, you deserve a beautiful, giving, selfless kind of love. And that's what you need to expect. Wow. And that's what you need to receive. And of course, right after that, I meet Reed. And um, he he gave me that kind of love and I thought it was real weird. And I thought it, I was, I just kept waiting for him to like pull the rug out, out from under me. Like, oh, I have a girlfriend or oh, I'm just not feeling this. I, I just kept waiting for him to disappoint me and he didn't. Yeah. Um, and so then a couple weeks after we started dating, I was at work and I started feeling sick and I couldn't really understand what it was. Like my stomach just felt sick. I felt like I had air bubbles that just wouldn't go away. Right. And um, he was talking to me and he was like, well, let's make you an appointment to go to the doctor. And I was like, no, I hate doctors. I'm not going, I'm not gonna do that. So um, I just kept going to work and kept ignoring it and being mm-hmm. fine. And that wasn't like months, that was like a couple days. Yeah. So finally, <laughs> um, I was at work and I started feeling really sick, like really sick and I could barely work and my coworkers were like, go somewhere. So I went to a minute clinic and told her I was having stomach problems and I, I was, there was blood coming from places that it shouldn't, mm-hmm. which was real recently, I had just started. And she was like, well, we can't really do any tests here. So she sent me to an urgent care um, center in Brentwood and I started going there and they ran a whole, like a whole bunch of tests. I was there four or five hours and they didn't figure out what was wrong either. Wow. They had no idea. So, um, and he referred me to um, a gastroenterologist, I guess is what they're called. Um, so I went and I met with him and um, he was like, well, you have no family history. There's nothing really wrong. I'm gonna do a colonoscopy just in case. Um, so I'm, I'm not really sure what it is, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be concerned about anything crazy. My dad had diverticulitis, so he's like, "That's probably what it is. It's just starting in an early age." Mm-hmm. Um, Which so, is? Um, it's basically where uh, your bowel system doesn't get out everything, okay. and so there are like pockets, and so um, toxic stuff gets left behind and it becomes infected. Yeah. like seeds stuff like that okay. get stuck and get infected mm. um, and my dad has that and it's it's just where your body doesn't know how to um, <laughs> they're cutting grass they're cutting grass <laughs> thank you for Shut cutting up. grass sir <laughs> I, I appreciate it so I don't have to um, so yeah your body just doesn't know how to get out things the way that it should and it has pockets where it shouldn't and so he thought I may have that um, so 
I scheduled my colonoscopy, and so the first time I went to the doctor was in September. My <clears throat> colonoscopy was October 14th of 2014, and I looked for about a week for someone to take me to that appointment. They put you to sleep, so you can't take yourself, and I couldn't find anyone mm. but Reed. I desperately did not want him to take me yeah. because... They like fill you with air and that air has to go somewhere. And we'd only been dating three weeks. He hadn't even seen me without makeup yet. So I just didn't think we were ready for that portion of our relationship <laughs> to come to light. And I didn't know, I hadn't been put to sleep in a long time. I didn't know what I was gonna say. If yeah. I was gonna say something super embarrassing. Um, but anyway, he took me and was so gracious and offered. And we got there and um, that picture that you saw from that post is the picture he took right before I um, got the colonoscopy done. Yeah. And that's how nonchalant it was. It was like, well, you know, we're going to do a colonoscopy. Who cares? Like, we're just, we'll get to the bottom of this yeah. and figure out whatever so it was is. Before. That was right before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, that was right before I went back. So they told us it was going to take about 45 minutes, and then I would come out, and then I would have to be there an hour, and then I get, get to go home. And I woke up in a room, and I was by myself. Um, I didn't know how long I had been there, obviously. Um, but I, I sat in the room for another hour, and nobody came in. Nobody checked on me. Huh. Nobody told me anything. Um, and I remember having to use the restroom, so I got up and walked into the hallway. And Reed is, like, pacing the hallway. I was like, what are you doing? Why are you pacing the hallway? Oh and he's like, I have been here for four hours. I was like, what are you talking about? It's been like an hour. He was like, no, I've been out here for like four hours. Everybody, there's been like people coming and going and I've just been waiting here and nobody said anything. I was like, oh my gosh, that's really strange. Yeah. Okay. So I went back and sat in my room and one of the nurses came in and she didn't really say anything, but she was, you know, I was talking to her and I was trying to like be funny and I was like, hey, how'd it go? <laughs> She's like, well, the doctor will be in, in a second to talk to you. She had this real, like, weird look on her face. And I was like, okay, weirdo. Yeah. So then the doctor comes in, and by this point, I'm a little freaked out because he's not saying anything. And so he, you know, pulls up his chair, and he was like, well. And so then he starts to get tears in his eyes, which I know is like this... That's never a good sign when your doctor starts yeah. crying because yeah. you know that it's not something good. So he gets tears in his eyes and start to starts talking and he was like, well, we found something we, we did not expect to see. Um, we found a very large mass in uh, your rectum and it's been there for a long time. Mm. It's been growing for a long time um, and we did a biopsy immediately, so we don't know for sure. But I'm telling you right now, I've never seen something like this not be cancer. So I need you to be prepared. Um, either way, you're going to have to get it surgically removed. Yeah. Um, and there is a chance you will have a colostomy bag for the rest of your life. Mm. Um, depending on what your surgeon says, if it is cancerous, you will need to do uh, chemo and probably radiation but again that's all something that your surgeon can answer for you right. and I was like I 
I honestly can't tell you what I was thinking at the time because I don't know that I was thinking anything. I was thinking, what the crap? I yeah. mean, that's that's really what I was thinking because I didn't really understand. It had to have been surreal. It was very surreal because, I I mean, I worked at a juice bar. You know, I, I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. Yeah. I didn't cuss. Not that that helps me with cancer, but I feel like in my heart it would. And I... I you know, I ate well, I exercised, I was doing everything that I was supposed to do. Um, I had no family history, like no family history. My great grandmother died of colon cancer mm. at like 95. Mm. She developed it. So nobody in my family had, you know, especially young um, colon cancer or really young cancer ever. Right. So um, we, I made an appointment to see the surgeon in a few days and um, they called and said they actually had the results. So when I was going to go in and meet with her, they would actually be able to tell me what it was. Um, so I called my family when I got home and my parents came in and met Reed, which is real weird, but you yeah. know, that's the situation that it was. They met Reed and um, they all came with me to my appointment and them and a few other friends and a pastor and Reed and my sister all sat there and I made them let me go in by myself because I wanted to be able to take it all in mm. and um, so we we sat down well I sat down with the surgeon and she did a whole examination um, also never get colon cancer just don't do it because examinations are the worst <laughs> it's not bad they Put things places that you never even <laughs> want to think about ever again. It's terrible. Um, so I, I did a whole examination and, um, you know, I sat back up on the table and she just pulled out a pamphlet and it said, dealing with, I don't know, uh, carcinoma cancer. And at that moment I knew and I tried to listen and understand what she was saying, but it was a blur. Yeah. And again, it just, it just didn't make sense. Yeah. Did they know at that point how serious? No. Okay. They didn't because I hadn't done a CT scan. Okay. Um, they just knew it was a large mass. And so she told me they would have to do a CT scan to figure out what it was. So there's different classifications of how serious it is. So um, if your cancer is the same place that it started and it hasn't moved anywhere, it's stage one. Mm. If it's stage two, it's um, moved out to like the outer walls. Um, if it's stage three, it is broken out into the outer walls and is starting to go in your lymph nodes. Um, if it's stage four, it is spread to other organs. Mm. So at that point, she didn't know. Yeah. Um, I went out and told my family, and everybody was trying to be brave, but everybody basically cried. Yeah. I mean, what other reaction do you have? Yeah, absolutely. I was 30 at the time. Um, when did when, when did you... When is your birthday? When did you turn 30? December 28th. Okay. So... Um, I was 30, getting ready to turn 31. Okay. So, um, she ordered a CT scan and then uh, sent me to an oncologist. And at that point, like from the time that I found out to the time that everything started, it was really quick. Yeah. So she ordered a CT scan. I met with an oncologist the next day, like literally the next day. I started... Um, chemo like three days after that so well no that's not accurate I met with an oncologist I had surgery to get a portacath placed and then I started chemo like three or four days after that 
and um, so they immediately oh immediately started yeah and I it's interesting and they don't need to know what stage it's at they found out the CT scans you, you can find out the same day okay. um, so they they did a CT scan and they came in actually right after I did the CT scan and told me they found spots on my liver and my ovaries but they're so small that they can't really biopsy them which was a great thing mm-hmm. um, and they said that they believe that you know, chemo and radiation will get rid of the spots, but they just want to make sure they're going to just go ahead and start treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, so they started treatment pretty much immediately. Um, and it's stage four. Technically, yeah. yes. Um, because they couldn't biopsy the spots, right. they didn't know for sure that they were cancer, but right. they knew that I had had spots. Right. Um, so technically, yes, it yeah. was stage, at least stage three if not stage four. Right. So, um, I, what did I do after that? Goodness. I started chemo and did six weeks of 24 seven chemo where they send you home with a bag and, um, this patch technically that's over your porticath and you have this fanny pack. So I was really styling. Um, and it, brings chemo into your body 24 7 so i did that 24 7 and then i did radiation five days a week did um um, did they did the doctors i mean they have such a weird balancing act mm -hmm. uh did they seem positive or were they pretty transparent and this is not good i think every doctor unless you are for sure terminal yeah unless there's literally nothing that they can do I think they they have to they have to be real right. and to be straight but be positive. Mm-hmm. So what you know when you ask direct questions, they always divert because they don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. They don't know how you're going to react to the medication. They yeah. don't know if it's going to keep growing. They don't know how serious it is at that point. Um, they didn't know. Uh, so I actually had a conversation with you know the the radiation doctor, and he was like, "Hey, just." I just need to warn you, um, you know, once we start this process, once we start the radiation, you're not going to be able to have children right. again, and you're going to immediately go into menopause. Mm-hmm. And I obviously didn't really understand, you know, the, the depth of that at the time. Um, but he was like, we can, we can try to freeze your eggs. We can try to, you know, do surgery to move your, your ovaries. Um, but that it's going to take about three to six months. Yeah. And he was like, I just don't know if we have three to six months. Yeah. So I don't know, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how grave it was. Yeah. Um, but I knew they were moving really quickly. Really fast. Really fast. What I was amazed by was um, how people flocked to mm-hmm. your social media sites mm-hmm. and the support that you got. Um, were you shocked by the initial support? Oh, my gosh. Because I, I kind of A-B'd before yeah. and after, and it was sort of like the normal person, sort of, mm-hmm. you know. But, like, you really had people... It's the first time, uh, I think it's one of the... You know, besides watching businesses do social media really well, it was one of the first times I've seen a per- someone's personal life uh, shown through social media, yeah. and it really, like... Make a know, difference. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, when I found out, immediately decided that I wasn't going to post Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want people thinking of me as weak. Yeah. 
um, I didn't want people to see me as anything different than I was. Mm -hmm. And everybody knew me to be strong and courageous. And I was proud. I was very prideful. Was that another God uh, talking to you audibly saying maybe you should share this journey? No, shockingly. I sat down and had a conversation with my sister-in-law. Mm-hmm. And I just remember telling her, like, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to put all my business out there. I don't want people to see another bad story, mm-hmm. another sad case where they have to feel sorry for somebody else. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, I mean, I get that. But here's the thing. You're robbing people of the opportunity to pray for you. Yeah. And not just pray for you, but be changed by you. And be changed by your situation and your story and everything that you're going to be going through. You're robbing people of the opportunity to be a part. And I know it's so much easier to run and hide. But this is this is your ministry. Mm. This is what you get to do through this story. Mm. And so when I wrote that first post, um, I tried to be real and to be honest. And, that, and at that moment, that's something that I... I decided as well was just that I was just going to be real. Yeah. From the moment it started to the moment it ended, I was going to say exactly how I felt. I was going to say exactly what I was going through. So there was a dialogue in deciding. Oh yeah. That because it was very. Um, that's what is real moving about going through your. It's even the last couple of days going through your Facebook feed is that like you were very open mm-hmm. and sharing every little bit of the story. And I, I wanted to be, mm-hmm. and I wanted to share exactly how my experience was going to go. And that first post, um, I didn't think I was going to share that much, mm-hmm. but that first post got, I don't know, it was like over 4 million views or yeah. something, which is ridiculous. I don't know why, you know, I wasn't curing cancer. I just had it. But I, I remember just th- even thinking from that, like, people need hope. Mm-hmm. They need joy. They yeah. need a reason to wake up and feel better. Um, and I wanted to help. Yeah. And so I started trying to document as much as I could and had strength for um, everything that I was going through and milestones. Um, and my sister-in-law um, set up a fund for me. I didn't have insurance, health insurance when I got okay, diagnosed. Okay, I was going to ask that. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any because I was an idiot musician um, <gasps> that didn't sign up for any. And um, I got my first radiation bill and it was $150,000. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> oh goodness. I would oh have to gosh. work for like... <laughs> Ever. 150 <laughs> years. Forever. To pay that off. And... I, I don't, I mean, it was obviously definitely a God thing, but I didn't worry. Yeah. From the moment I got diagnosed to the very end, I, I just didn't worry. Well, I mean, you know, when, I would imagine that the, um, the weight of just cancer alone oh, is so heavy that the idea of bills is like, I it's don't It's like, whatever. It. Yeah. I mean, take me to collections. I don't care. Yeah, At least yeah. I'm yeah. trying to live. So, I mean, that, that is what it was. It was a worry because I didn't want my family to be burdened with the task of trying to do that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so my sister set up a fund. Um, 
and so you know because of that I was trying to also stay on top of trying to post um, and over a year and a half I think it raised hundred and fifty thousand dollars mm. that's a lot of money um, and I signed up for every possible um, I didn't have I had to quit my job obviously mm. you can't be working and so I signed up for every possible financial aid everything that could ever have existed yeah and I I got so many bills written off because our hospitals are kind of awesome mm-hmm. they're sometimes terrible but sometimes awesome and you were going what hospital were you I was St. Thomas Midtown okay. um, so I did the six weeks of radiation six weeks of chemo and about a month into that, um, I went to um, my OBGYN and she did like a neck examination. That's just what they do for your thyroid. And she found a nodule in my thyroid and she's like, it's not anything to worry about. Millions of people get nodules on their thyroid and they're usually nothing. Mm-hmm. She's like, but you need to go see an endocrinologist just, just to make sure. <laughs> You're like, really? I'm like, okay, cool, thanks, another one. So, but that one I was like, no, like, there's no way. It's, I know it's not spread because it's not even possible to spread all the way up there without going to other organs. I know it's not spread. I know it's there's there's just no way that yeah. that's cancer. I'm a singer. I'm sure it's just you know regular nodules from singing. So we went and he did a biopsy, which throat biopsies are torture. They basically put like ten needles into your throat and move oh, them goodness. around. That was awful. Um, but then he called me back in his office few days later and I also had thyroid cancer they don't really have stages so much for thyroid cancer you either just have it or you don't was that a um was that from the colon cancer Mm -mm. totally separate totally separate how in the world no idea totally separate type of cancer yeah yeah doesn't even make sense (laughs) I know what were you thinking I I was mad (laughs) Up until that point, I was like, okay, this sucks. It's the worst. It's not ever something you imagine for yourself, but at least I have options. Like I have stuff that I can do and keep walking forward. I'm just, every day, I'm just going to keep walking forward. I felt like I smashed into a million pieces and I was mad. I was mad at at everything. And I was mad at God again. Thankfully, he has lots of grace for me, but. What was that day like? I mean, like. Do you even remember? I do. Uh, Reed and my mom were with me on that day. Yeah. I remember, and I remember going home and just crying. And I hadn't really done a ton of that because I'm not really a crier. Um, and I had felt defeated, but I knew that I could walk forward. Yeah. You know, I, I knew I had options. That day, I just felt I felt alone yeah. and defeated, and like nobody else would really understand what I was going through. Because they couldn't. Um, just timeline-wise, yeah. Um, I mean, that was after Dear Amanda. It was right and after. Dear Amanda was mm-hmm. the big um, fundraiser. Yeah. That, that was held at your church. Big music groups. Great night. You mm-hmm. know, I, I watched a bit of it online and stuff. Um, and then this news yeah. comes a week, week and a half, or something like that afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know. Natalie. Um, was amazing and asked a bunch of her friends who I've never even met to come for free and play a show Um, and I mean like 2,000 people showed up yeah it was ridiculous like 
I, I thought it was so strange. I was like, I've never even met most of you people. Yeah. But she played a show, and I think they ended up raising like $55,000 that night, which is... It, it still doesn't feel like it was for me. Like, mm. it just feels like it was an awesome concert to support a really great cause, and it was just beautiful. Yeah. Um, and it was just, it was so fantastic. Um, and so, yeah, it was like a week or so after that that I found out. Um, uh, Stalker Chris, November 13th, <laughs> you said you're learning to be thankful for something every day. Um, and I... Just trying to learn that practice, you know, just gratitude, and then discovering the power of thankfulness and gratitude. Mm-hmm. Um, is that did you were you able to to continue that? Did you really make an effort to do that on a daily basis? It took some time. Yeah. It took some time of letting the overwhelming just be overwhelming mm-hmm. um, instead of trying to make sense of everything mm-hmm. because it just didn't make sense. Yeah, there's no way you're going to get ahead of all that. No. And they even did a genetic test to see if I was genetically predisposed to cancer, and I wasn't. Hmm. So it, I I just let it be overwhelming, and yeah. I just let myself feel, and I just let myself be angry and wrestle with myself and with God and with cancer and with everything. And I think that is what helped me keep going. Yeah. Um, and I, I still... I still obviously had ups and downs and it was a roller coaster of emotions but part of it I, it's so interesting because in my regular life it's so hard to find stuff to be thankful for and I nitpick at the smallest oh gosh, stuff yeah. and do it all the time you're not alone oh, I, I always did it and I do it right now mm. And but then when you're faced with uncertainty of your life and uncertainty of whether you will live or die and craziness and needles and doctors and every decision is being made for you I think there's really only two ways that you can go mm-hmm. which is to be defeated or to say like there's options I'm going to walk forward mm-hmm. and I felt both and I, I wanted to be defeated so many times but I also wanted to walk forward yeah and so I, I think that's the path that I decided to choose. I, and I think I chose joy. Yeah. Um, because I, I didn't want cancer to be me, mm-hmm. to define who I was, to, to change who I was. Yeah. And what's crazy is that through that, it did change me. It did change everything about who I was, but in such a beautiful, humbling way that I never could have imagined. Right. For the better. For the better. Yeah. I'm guessing once you find out you have uh, thyroid cancer that uh, there's a reconvening of game plan. Mm-hmm. So what was that like? Was it was it just we're just going to add two in the middle of our already set plan, or was it like no, we got to go back to the drawing board and rethink how we're going to? Uh, I think do it all was both yeah. um, because they'd already laid out uh, laid out a very specific timeline of everything that they were going to do, and then they're you know throwing something crazy into the mix. And so um, the cool thing about doctors is that they communicate with each other and they just text each other it takes me you know three or four days to get a hold of one but then they can just text each other which worked out really well for me but they um they actually came up with a game plan and when i say you don't make any decisions i mean like you don't make any decisions they say here's what we're going to do this is the timeline this is you know how we're taking care of this this is where you're going this is what you're doing um so in January, so I got diagnosed in October. 
um, went through the six weeks of chemo and radiation, had six weeks off. Um, and in January, I had surgery to remove my thyroid. And it was my first ever like real major surgery. And it sucked. Like it was really terrible. Um, I woke up and... Was this the scariest one for you? Uh, I mean, I would imagine when they removed the tumor, yeah. that was a pre- pretty big deal. But that one, you being a singer, I didn't know. Like it, that one, because it was the first surgery, yeah. and there was a possibility that I may not be able to speak or sing afterwards. It was, it was very scary. Yeah. And again, it all probably felt so. It was overwhelming. Yeah, for <laughs> it sure. Really it's not like I'm going to write this. Yeah, I I wrote a will. Before I went into surgery oh and gosh. reached out, and he was so mad. He was like, "Why are you, why are you writing this? Like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. The, the, why is that even something that comes across your mind?" And I was like, "I'm going into sur- like major surgery. Why wouldn't it be something that came across my mind?" Yeah. So, um, it was scary. It was really scary. Yeah. Um, but I went through it, and they took my thyroid out, and the recovery was awful, and I threw up a ton. And it's so hard to just get your body back to normal. Um, and yeah, that was pretty terrible. Yeah. But I was got that the it. first time physically you started to feel the effects of what treatment was going to be like? No. Um, no. Or the, had the radiation already started to affect the you? The chemo and the radiation. I had already lost like 20 pounds. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And this I, is two months, three months in? Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, it's January, right? Uh huh. Okay. I mean, you probably don't remember, but when they had the um, Dear Amanda concert, I had already lost like 15 pounds by okay. that point, and I had only been on um, chemo like three weeks. Goodness, it was it was immediate, and it's not it's so hard to describe because chemo is <clears throat> like the worst flu you've ever had mixed with the worst migraine you've ever had mixed with death, and it's just it's. It's awful, and it's not that you're so sick you don't want to eat. It's that you physically can't make yourself, mm-hmm. and you're out of energy, and you can't even pick up something in order to feed yourself, right. and nothing sounds good, like literally nothing. There would be moments that I would crave something, and somebody would run out to go get it so that I could eat something, um, but I, I lost weight pretty quickly. Um, and then after thyroid cancer, I lost weight um, because I was, I didn't want to eat and I was throwing up. And so then I had six weeks off after the the thyroid surgery, and um, then six weeks later I did the surgery to remove the tumor. Um, the good part about doing chemo and radiation before surgery, uh, the tumor had shrunk <clears throat> to where it was barely. I mean. It was visible, obviously, but it was not nearly what it was. So what they had to cut out was such a small space. Um, and I was so incredibly thankful for that. But How I, did they take that out? Um, they go in uh, laparoscopically. Mm. And so they cut you open and then literally just cut out part of your colon. Goodness. And sew it back together. And then they actually, I did an ileostomy bag, which is just like a colostomy bag. And Which is what exactly? What does that mean? What? So it's pretty gross, but they literally put in a piece of intestines outside of your body through okay. your stomach, and you put this bag over top of it, and any waste that you have goes into the bag. 
So you no longer use the bathroom like you normally would. Interesting. The waste just goes through the bag. Um, and so you're, it's real weird, but the intestines is just sticking out of your stomach all the time. No, it's super strange. Um, so I had that surgery and had the ileostomy and then ended up being in the hospital for like three or four days longer <laughs> than um, I thought that I was going to have to be. Um, there's, there was complications and my body didn't recover like I thought it would. Yeah. So I was in the hospital about 10 days. And this is in March. That's in March. Mm -hmm. So you had two major surgeries within mm -hmm. a month and a half to mm -hmm. two months time. Mm -hmm. Goodness. Yep. And at that point, Reed and I had already talked about getting married. Um, we weren't engaged yet, but we had already... I sat down with him in like January and had a conversation and was like, hey, listen, I know we haven't talked about it, but you know I now can't have kids. What do you think about that? And we just had this whole long conversation. <clears throat> he was like, I want you. He's like, you mean we can go on vacation anytime we want? Yeah, sweet. <laughs> um, so he's like, I want you. You know, I, I would wow. love the possibility of a family, but... If that means sacrificing you. And that's in January? That's in January. Before the surgery? Before the surgery. Okay. Um, and we'd only been dating a couple months, but I was I was so, like, BS went out the window. And I was like, I'm, I'm just going to shoot straight with everything and everyone. I'm just going to be honest and tell it how it is because that's how it is. Yeah. So I was like, okay. Which so, is you already. Yeah, sort it's of basically you. me already. But when you're dealing with life no, and death. Right. There was just no pretense. There yeah. was no need for it. Yeah. Um, I didn't need to skirt around any issues. Mm. So... Um, we, so that night that we were just talking about that, I was like, okay, so where do you see this going? And he was like, well, I don't know where you are, but I see this going forever. Yeah. I was like, okay. Yeah, we knew really quickly. And, I mean, he had gotten to know, obviously, so much about me. In three in a months? a very short three, amount yeah. of time. Um, well, we had started dating in September. September, So right. in January, I don't even know how many months, but not very many. But he'd gotten to know so much about me, way yeah. more than I ever planned. You're flung into reality. Oh, yeah. Like... And I had a conversation with him that I, I found out I was diagnosed and just told him he could leave without any judgment, without any anything, because he didn't he didn't sign up for that. Yeah. No one signs up for that. Yeah. And he was like, nope, I'm, I'm staying. This is where I'm going to be. This is where I want to be. What a um, guy. Yeah, he's pretty great. Goodness gracious. So I had that surgery. I... Um, Came out of the next surgery, recovered for a while, and then... And it's 12 weeks of chemo, right? I thought it was... Well... So, well, we got engaged right after... Okay. Like two weeks after my surgery. So we got engaged okay. and then went to the hospital to find out how much chemo I was going to be doing. Um, and she said it could be anywhere from... I. Originally, when we talked to her, she said six to 12 treatments uh, or cycles. And um, so I was thinking six to 12 weeks. So when she said six cycles, I was like, sweet. It's going to be three months. I'm going to be in and out. I'm going to be done by my sister's wedding. It's going to be awesome. We're engaged. We can get married, you know. So we had planned for November. We can get married in November. It's going to be awesome. So, you know, six cycles. We get engaged. And then two weeks after surgery, I actually started chemo. Six cycles, is that weekly? So every that's week? every other week. Okay. Um, so it's six cycles every other week. Yeah. So 
Uh, yeah, so like two weeks after that surgery, I started chemo. And it was way worse than before. Um, and I, I think it's because my body was already really weak and already really tired. I would imagine the recovery from two major surgeries, it really takes difficult. longer than when we oh, expect. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm shocked they even let me start yeah. two weeks yeah, after being Yeah, it felt really fast open. to me when I read that. I wanted it to be fast. I mean, they gave me the option of waiting longer, but I wanted it to be fast because I wanted to be done. Yeah. My sister was getting married in August. I would be done in time to be a bridesmaid and, you know, help her with that whole process. I would be done in plenty of time because I knew I would have to get surgery to reverse the ileostomy. I'd be done in plenty of time to do surgery to reverse that. I noticed you were juicing a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you get, like, any advice on nutrition? Oh, my gosh. I think I got new, like, advice from every single area of every single everything. From doctors, um, though? Like, from... No. Doctors are actually not allowed, unless something is going to physically hurt you, they're not allowed to give you very specific advice for diet. It's a, that, um, I've listened to a lot of and read a lot of stuff on nutrition mm -hmm. when it comes to doctors, mm -hmm. and it's interesting that of all things, doctors don't get a lot of education on that. No, they're not allowed to because yeah. they're not dietitians. Yeah. But um, you would figure that would be a part of the process of discerning on how to handle treatment since They're medicine not. is or food there's that quote food is medicine food is medicine but they don't view food as medicine no. um there was very specific like strict diet guidelines i had to follow because of like the ileostomy because of surgeries because of stuff like that um there was a lot of stuff i could and couldn't have right. um like after ileostomy anything good for me like lettuce corn raw veggies raw fruit i couldn't have any of it because my body couldn't process it and couldn't digest how it normally did so there's a lot of diet restrictions i have interesting yeah so veggies like i could drink like i could do juice yeah. um so i could drink like veggie juice but any raw veggies of any kind even cooked you're only supposed to have a tiny bit wow because your body that's why veggies are so good because your body actually takes a while to process them yeah, yeah. Um, and because I had an ileostomy, my body couldn't process so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, after that. So what did that mean then? Like, what did that mean for you eating wise? Um. How did you sort of balance that? I, I honestly, when you're going through chemo, it's 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 not like being pregnant, but it's kind of like being pregnant, where every once in a while you have weird cravings yeah. for stuff. And I am a juicer. I like healthy stuff. Yeah. I always have. I love juice. I love. Um, I just, I like being healthy. Yeah. And at that point, I lost so much weight that my doctors were like, hey, listen, like, we understand you want to be healthy, but you have got to keep your weight Order on. Pizza. So you do whatever you have to do yeah. in order to make that happen. So I had been mostly a vegan and, you know, very healthy up until that point. And I had lost so much weight that they were like, just, just do what you need to do. Yeah. Whatever you're craving, eat it. So at that point, I started buying like the organic version of everything that I was craving, which sometimes would be like a, I don't know, turkey and cheese sandwich. Yeah. And I would have to have a turkey and cheese. <laughs> like I, there was no option. I had to have it. And then sometimes it would be just jello, which jello is awful, but it's the only thing that I could really eat or like mm. pudding or like, you know, random stuff. And I, I hated that that was even something I had to do, right. but it was, 
it was the only option to keep on weight at that point. Mm-hmm. I would do, you know, they actually make these little packets that are like little packets that are like 400 calories and they're like protein huge packets. So you put them in cereal and you yeah. have 14, you know, 400 calories. So I would do those and I, I anything with a lot of fat, um, even in healthy stuff. Did you, um, did you look into, um, so, you know, obviously you kind of answered this already, but like, um, you had cravings, but did you look into any of the, you know, does, you know, vegan eating or mm-hmm. vegetarian, or the, was it keto, uh, the, uh, the, um, ketogenic, is that what I'm saying? Like ketogenic diet? Have you heard about that? Yeah. Where it's like you starve, mm-hmm. they, they say it starves cancer cells. Did yeah. You, I heard about all that. Did, yeah. <laughs> was it just kind of like, I don't, I just treatment well, and eat. I think the problem was that I was juicing every day. I mean, I worked at a juice bar, so I had juice every day. I ate, I was basically a vegan before yeah. I ever even got diagnosed. Yeah. So for months, I had nothing really but juice and yeah. real healthy stuff. And I still had cancer. I see what you mean, yeah. So I, I definitely was um, a vegan for a long time. Um, and I ate, you know, I did how juice. Long, how long would you say, you know? I was mostly vegan from the time that I was diagnosed to probably the second round of chemo. Okay. Um, with, you know, obviously stuff here and there that I, sometimes I just had to eat just what I could eat. But the, um, the problem is that I had such a hard time gaining weight. Right, yeah. That I That was the important part. Yeah, yeah. And... It's, I obviously love healthy food and I do think it makes a difference in your bodies with healthy living with, you know, the toxicity that comes into our food from everything. And so now I do 90% organic everything, but I got more advice from thousands of different people telling me that I, well, even healing that I wasn't believing God for my healing and that if I had more faith, I would be Someone healed. said that? Oh, hundreds of people said it. Oh, yeah. It happened all the time. And... You know, granted, encourage people to keep the faith, but, like, don't tell mm-hmm. them that they're not. Right. <laughs> yeah, if you had more faith, you would be healed. Um, if you believed God, you wouldn't be doing chemo. Is this on the road, people? Like, people you don't really know? Or is this people... Oh, I didn't know any, any of these people. And over this process, I had... Is this online? Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm, Just messages online. I'm so worried about your health. I saw where you ate a sandwich that's going to cause more cancer. Oh, my gosh. All that kind of stuff. And I I think everyone, especially going through that process, has to come to the point where they say, okay, what's right for me? What's what's the best options for me? Mm. And everyone has to decide for themselves. And so for me, I had healthy meals and I had um, organic options but sometimes I just had to eat a snack pack yeah because that's the only thing that I could even get down yeah um so I I just did what was best for me and I absolutely believe in nutrition we still juice all the time I still think it makes a huge difference and even my surgeon when I got done um after my surgery I was like okay what from your opinion should I be eating and she was like well there's this huge study that just came out that if you are a vegan or vegetarian, not eating meat helps reduce your reoccurrence chance of getting more can- colon cancer by like 
I don't know, 30%, mm. which is huge. Yeah. So she was like, a vegetarian diet is is probably the way to go. Yeah. And I was like, all right. So at least somebody stepped up and said, you know, this is what you should be doing. This is important. You need to be eating healthy. But, but during that came the process, at the, that was the result of you asking mm-hmm. the question. Rather than and I think you have to. Yeah. Like, I think you have to be very specific because in the world of medicine, they don't really want doctors telling you that food is medicine. Yeah. So, it's such a curious thing. I know. Thing it's still. such an interesting thing. And I used both. Yeah. And I know a lot of people who have only used one and have gotten success and failure. Yeah. Um, so I, I tried to incorporate if it could be healthy, I wanted to try it. Yeah. If it could heal me, I wanted to try it, no matter really what it was. Um, chemo. You know, we hear that, but explain mm-hmm. exactly what that is. So chemo is... Um, so I went in once every two weeks, and I got a needle through my porticath, and so they basically... Pump. Which is a... It's a, a device that's planted underneath the skin in your chest. Right. And they stick a needle in, and, and there's a tube that runs into a, a central vein. Okay. So they put a needle into the porticath, and yeah, they pump medicine directly into your central veins. Um and that pumps throughout your body. I so know. you go so in. So it's not just attacking the area. It's it's going through your whole body. Yeah, yeah. It's no going wonder everywhere is being affected. Oh yeah, your whole body is being affected. Yeah. So it's interesting though because with different cancers they give different kinds of um, medicine, right. which is why my medicine, my hair didn't fall out because it's just a different type. Yeah. Um, there's like fifty percent of people that it does, fifty percent of people that it doesn't, and I just happen to be one of those that it didn't. But um, so. You go in and you get um, an hour-long injection of vitamins and crap. I don't even know. I don't even ask really anymore because I was like, just hurry up. I just want to be done. Um, And then you get an injection of steroids through, obviously, still the porticath, and that's about 30 minutes. And then you get another hour-long thing of actual medicine, and then you get a different type of medicine. So the whole process takes about five or six hours that you're there. Um, And then... You feel like crap for a week, and then you kind of recover for a week, and then you start the process over again. Um, and I did that, and what I thought would be three months, and then when I went back, she was like, oh, no, six cycles is 12 treatments. So we, oh, it's nice. not three months, it's six months. Okay, yeah, so I that's was like, wait, huh? <laughs> that's really confusing. So I ended up having to do it for six months instead of three um, of nonstop. Are you leaving? He wants, I think, to get you. Are you walking out right now? Uh-huh. Dude, first off. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I don't want to interrupt. No, no, you're good. I just, I mean, you're like the knight in shining, shining armor here. No, like, that's not true. What is, um, I just want to get your perspective on this whole, like, what this last couple of years has been for you. Yeah. You know, asking someone out on a date, turning into cancer treatments and the marriage, I mean... What a strange, peculiar, beautiful, yeah. frustrating year and a half. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I told Amanda this, and I told you know, people in her family and my family, it's like, you go in, you, know, you grow up in church your whole life, and you go to Sunday school classes, and you have mentors or whatever it is, and then they're always teaching you about, like, the moments in life where you'll be, like, kind of face-to-face with, like, yeah. that moment, you know? and Because people are always asking about, well, how did you know, or when did you, you know, feel that God was present? And I feel like those are like those moments. And so when Amanda and I started, you know, dating, you know, we were, you know, 
shouldn't have worked out. Mm -hmm. You know, we were different in age and difference in background and likes and dislikes and work and all that. But when we started you know, going out, obviously I, I thought she was great. But when we talked about and found out about cancer, it was like, it was that moment. It was like, that was the reality that like, you know, all those years of Sunday school, all those years of sitting through, you know, discipleships and Bible mm. studies like this was that moment. Yeah. And you either, you know, stand up or you, you walk away. Interesting. Yeah. But it's like, you know, but you've sat that kind of your whole life. You yeah. always look for like, when is it? Like, is it when I get that job or that family or whatever? And this was just kind of that you know, place for me. And, you know, with her and I haven't looked back since. Goodness. Yeah. Unreal. Well, dude, I applaud you. Thank you. I was telling her I'm kind of her stalker <laughs> because for the last two days I've been on her Facebook feed and literally started from Stop September, them. October 2014 and just slowly worked my way up to present day just to prepare. And I'm like yeah. I'm totally impressed by you. And Thank you. Yeah, and your diligence and everything. Every guy, every husband could uh, could learn a lot from you. And I can learn a lot from them. You, probably, you probably have a conference or a book that you could be writing. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's just, you know, everyone has different experiences. You know, yeah. people have different things they, they deal with in their marriage or in their personal life that someone comes alongside them and is selfless towards it. I mean, that's really all, all that it is. Yeah. You know, cancer just happens to be you know, a bit more rare. Was it e easy for you guys to discern, like, was it the emotional roller coaster of we're in the middle of this cancer thing? Or this is really like marriage, like meant to be relationship. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. did the emotional roller coaster kind of get, or was it kind of like, no, it was, it's easy to see the difference between. And yeah, I think because our relationship was the only thing that really wasn't a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. It was the the clearest out of anything else that we were dealing with. Yeah. So everything else was a roller coaster. And that was the one thing that was consistent and steady the whole time yeah. was just us. Yeah. And so it made everything else more bearable because it was it was consistent. Right. Um I mean I'm sure, you know, there's there's stuff that we didn't have to deal with because there was a million other things that were difficult and hard and you know we didn't have the small stupid fights that most couples have yeah. um, at the beginning and so obviously there's stuff after you go through those processes that you realize like oh well we're dealing with this now because we didn't have to deal with it back then yeah. we're dealing with small things now because we didn't really have to talk through those things back then um, so there's things that you learn on all ends of the spectrum where there's so many things that we just didn't even think about and didn't really need to and still don't really need to and that weren't a big deal mm -hmm. because there was so much other stuff to worry about. Absolutely. So I felt like it was the one thing that was not crazy emotional and not crazy roller coaster and it was the one thing that was very steady and yeah. helped the, everything else be a lot more bearable. Well, the beautiful thing is you guys have probably from in the beginning, from day one, had to deal with the fight of your lives you mm -hmm. know and hopefully you don't ever have to hopefully it's not a sign for mm -hmm. things to come yeah but i mean if you if there are days like this again you guys have learned that you both yeah can yeah. You know, obviously by the grace of god but you can face these sort of times together because mm -hmm. you started out like this so yeah i think we hopefully it's all downhill from here oh yeah i hope we both we know that we both thrive when it's really difficult yeah and it's a good thing That's knowing great. somebody's going to be there 
in the really difficult times. Yeah, yeah. It's good. That's wonderful. One of my all-time favorite posts, and it's from you. Um, and it's when you posted the video, and you said, I have some news for you guys. After three surgeries, eight months of chemo, and six weeks of radiation, the doctor told me the results of my CT scan today, and I wanted to tell you. And this is the day you found out you had no more mm-hmm. cancer. Mm-hmm. I wept like a baby. Mm-hmm. I just want you I to know. I did, too. I bet you did. You know, I wasn't at the concert. I saw a little bit of it. Um, and, uh, and I mean, I haven't seen you in years. We toured together some. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, but I was praying for you throughout and was mm-hmm. with you through the whole thing. And just, I was, I was just as happy for you as if you were my own daughter mm-hmm. when I watched that video. Um, you know, what, what, <laughs> did, you, did you go get juice or did you go get ice cream? What, what was the rest of the day like when you found that out? To be honest, I don't. I think I went and slept for like 10 hours. (laughs) I don't remember exactly what we did that day. Um, Were you relieved or was... I was relieved and sad. Yeah. I was relieved, obviously, because I I was done with the process. But going to something like that... So the place that we went, it's Tennessee Oncology. And you sit in a room with... 30 other cancer patients and you all get treatment together which means that you you I mean a few of them you really get to know really well throughout the whole course throughout of the, the whole course wow. of the treatment so that's always where you are is in yeah. a room with 30 other people and you you don't get to know everybody but you, there's some people you get to know and I was so relieved and there was just a part of me that was just heartbroken because I got to leave because mm. I got to walk out and I was done. Because you really poured into some of these people's lives, right? Mm-hmm. You and Brianna were making uh, soap and stuff. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. And just, was that just to encourage people? And... Yeah, I think I needed a distraction yeah, <laughs> during chemo. And I, I had this idea that I started making these like natural bath bombs and with um, natural oils and bath bombs and uh lip balms and soaps and all that kind of stuff and I I loved them and realized that you know I I could do something really great Um, while I was still going through treatment I brought you know stuff that I would make to other people and so other people would buy stuff and for every one that they bought I would give one to a cancer patient Um, there's a few people I met I'm still really good friends with a couple of them Um, but I I got to walk out yeah, I, I can understand. I can see where that, um, because, you know, I, not that I want to harp on this, but to have let's call it three and a half stage three and a half colon cancer. Yeah, there's not a lot of people that are are able to walk away from that. No, you know, so what a huge blessing. Oh but yeah, gosh. I can see where at the same time you're I leaving thirty friends so behind, and then there's going to be thirty more tomorrow. Yeah. There's going to be thirty more the next day, yeah. and it's. I read some statistic a couple of days ago that said one in every two people will get cancer mm. before they die. And I, I felt like I was leaving my friends, yeah. and I felt like I was leaving my comfort zone. Like that's where I lived for a year. Mm. I lived there, and I, I got diagnosed in October, and I found out I was cancer free in October, and so it was so humbling and beautiful and such an amazing day and I think I went home and cried for everybody that was still there yeah. because I remember 
being there and watching other people like they have this gong that you ring when you're done and I, everybody would ring their gong and they would get their certificates that they, they were done with chemo and I remember watching them and being like I wonder if that'll ever be me and there were some people they were terminal and they were just going there so it wouldn't spread to try wow. to spread out their days their days and yeah. the last day that I was there Reed actually met a woman and that's what she was doing he sat down and prayed with her that day and it it still is just overwhelming it's haunting oh it's so haunting because you can't do anything yeah you can't make them better you can't I mean you getting better doesn't make them worse by right. any means but you know like before you feel bad and you feel hurt and you feel pain for people who are going through this process but you don't know mm. and now I I know and I know how hard it is for the families for the loved ones for the like, siblings for the husbands or wives now I know how difficult it is yeah. um, but Reed and I got married three weeks after I found out I was cancer free and it was this fairy tale beautiful wedding um, did he propose at the juice bar he did mm-hmm. <laughs> that's yeah, awesome he did it was how awesome it was, it was so fitting and we found out actually we made an engagement video and found out the guy that did the fat sick and nearly dead so the the guy that started the juice bar where I worked watched that documentary too. And that's why he started the juice bar. So then um, the guy that made the documentary actually came into his juice bar. And they actually showed him our engagement video. And then he ended up sending it to his whole staff. Wow. So the guy that made the documentary actually saw our engagement video and shared it with everybody. And we were like, because of you, we met and fell in love. Um, oh my goodness. It was awesome. So, uh, we, we got married and then in November and then in January I ended up having the surgery to reverse the ileostomy, which is really tough recovery. Which is, what, what is that? Basically they, they put your colon back together. Oh, okay. So they, they put the intestines back in, they sew everything back up and then your body goes nuts for a long time. Um, I mean you go to the bathroom about 40 or 50 times a day when you first get uh, reattached. Yeah. And it's still not normal and won't ever be normal. But most people can't even get it reversed. Yeah. So that's something I'm very thankful for. So I had surgery. um, And then it took a long time to recover. I tried to go back and do some work and it just didn't work. Um, And then a friend of mine approached me who's an actor and he was like, hey, I really like your story. So I think we should work on writing a screenplay. So we did, and mm. I wrote a screenplay, and I finished it a month ago, a month or two ago. How long did it take? Uh, four months, five okay. months, something like that. Yeah, four or five months, and it was a lot. I mean, I worked three or four days a week, three or four hours at a time. Wow. Um, so it took a lot, a lot of work. Um, so right now, we the screenplay is done. We are getting investors, and uh, once that's finished, and we're almost there, once that's finished, we shoot the movie, and then uh, go to a, a major company for distribution. Yeah. Get wow. Distributed. What a great experience. Oh, my gosh. 
it's ridiculous. Like, I'm like, what? This isn't real. No, you won't be in it. No, yeah. thankfully. Nobody wants to see me in a movie. I don't know that you would be movie. able to go through it. No. <laughs> Nobody wants to see me in a movie. Hey, I'm curious about the right to try act. Yeah. Did that um, ever get passed? It did. Did it really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did. It got signed by the governor. Did you actually, let me, it's, to narrow it down, I read this on the Goldwater Institute website. Uh, right to try is, is a law to give terminally ill patients access to medicines that have passed phase one of the FDA approval process but are not yet on pharmacy shelves. Mm-hmm. So it's not, um, yeah, it had passed the House and Senate at the time, and then they said they had, it had uh, 10 days for the governor to pass it. So did you actually um, participate? I did not. Okay. No, they actually approached me um, and asked if I would be a spokesperson Um, which it was a hilarious story because I was like, sure, but I'm not really doing that. But then I read about it and I had some friends that couldn't get on trials because they weren't, the FDA approval takes something ridiculous like six or seven years to go through. Mm -hmm. So if you have a drug that you believe works, that's not going to cause more harm, you can't actually get it. Um, So... Once I heard about it, understood it, and believed in it, I started walking with them through that process. It was really funny because I ended up doing a lot of news interviews, and all of the news stations, for some reason, about this specifically, about this specifically, and all the news stations, for some reason, thought I was a terminal cancer patient. So, on the news, (laughs) they kept saying like, "You posted something about about she's dying." Yes, they all said that I was dying and that I was a terminal cancer patient. And what's funny and hilarious is that both of my, my oncologist and my surgeon both saw it and they called each other because they were like, wait, did something happen? Like, did you see something? Like, what happened? I didn't understand. The last I heard, she was doing well. Is she like, spinning you? Is she okay? And I was like, no, I didn't have anything to do with that. They just misunderstood, I guess, um, and kind of spin the story. So, But that oh, part goodness. was funny. But it, it got passed and the, the governor signed it. And Interesting. People can... Which is a risky move. It is. But, it's a very risky move. But when and, it, again, when your life is sort of being, yeah, when hey, you've exhausted all your other options, yeah, why I, not? I would love the opportunity and the chance if I'm if I know that I am a terminal patient, and there's a drug out there that could possibly help me, I'm gonna try it. Okay, so let me let me just explain. Five surgeries, eight months of chemotherapy, six weeks of radiation. Brianna, your sister gets married, engaged mm-hmm. and married. Your sister or brother has twin boys. My my well, it's my brother's wife. Brother's wife. Um, you um, get engaged and married. Yes, and then my other brother had a, a baby a few months before Brianna got married. Okay, and then you have several well-deserved road trips, mm-hmm. a screenplay. Working on a book or finished with a book? Writing a book. I thought I was finished, and then I realized how much you have to have written for an actual book. And I was like, okay, well, crap, I'm not finished. <laughs> We're not quite done yet, but are you exhausted from, like, I mean, like, what a year? It's It's been a year. I was exhausted for a while. I actually took just took, like, three months off and just sat. Yeah. <laughs> I don't blame you. And just sat. And I, still sometimes I come home, and all I want to do is just sit and be inside. And Reed's like, you're such a homebody. Which I never was like that before, but now I'm like I don't feel like I'm a homebody. But this has been my whole life. Like all I did was just sit here. Yeah. This is where I'm comfortable now. Like I've, being around people now is weird. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. What have you learned or are still learning from this whole thing? That's a great question. 
that I'm not done learning. Yeah. It's easy, it sounds weird, but it's easy when you're in the midst of a trial to just say, okay, God, I'm gonna trust you because I really, I literally didn't have another option. Yeah. When you're done with a trial, I think that's where the real work begins because the trust now has to be a choice because there are other options. Right, right. And that's momentarily what I'm learning is that God is worth trusting mm. and worth running into danger yeah. with. And you're not jumping off of a cliff blindly, not knowing where you're going to land. You're trusting the one who made you. Mm. Um, I'm still learning and still falling and not getting it perfect and not getting it anywhere close to right. But I want to learn to trust and I don't have to trust blindly. Mm -hmm. Um I can trust with the faith that someone who can bring me through cancer can solve how we're going to pay our rent next month or our mortgage or bring a baby from somewhere yeah. or any of those things that someone who can bring me through the worst time in my life can bring me through anything else. Yeah. And it's hard. What would you say to someone who has a loved one with cancer but doesn't know how to cope or help or be supportive? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. it, that's got to be um, just as emo clearly emotionally challenging for the oh my gosh. people around you. In my book, I have a whole... Brianna actually wrote a chapter dedicated to the families mm -hmm. because I, I mean, obviously it was torture what I had to go through, but I think it's worse for the families. Um, and I, I would say just... You think the helplessness? Of, yes. Yeah. There's nothing you can do. I mean, I think watching somebody you love go through hurt and pain is so much worse than going through hurt and pain. Was it tough to see your parents mm -hmm. deal with this? Did yeah. they really struggle? Yes. Yeah. They really struggled. Um, everyone really struggled. Yeah. And I think more than they led on to because nobody really wants to say that they're struggling because mm -hmm. they don't want to... Make it seem like what you're going through is not as bad as what they're going through. And I think the shock of a 30-year-old yeah. having cancer, serious yeah. cancer. Yeah. But yeah, it's you know you it's almost like you expect it in the the 60 plus age group, but like mm -hmm. uh, for your parents who are you know. Yeah, older. watching your child suffer, mm. I can't imagine. Yeah. I mean, you would be heartbroken and and question, and they did, and they. We all, thankfully, I have, um, there's this place called Porter's Call that is a counseling center for musicians, and I've been going there for like three years. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, you know, they, they agreed to meet with my whole family. And so wow. they've, they've been, not everybody, but a lot of people have been going there. And I think it's made us all a little bit more honest about struggle mm -hmm. and about that struggle is real doesn't mean that you're bad it just means that you're you're human mm. and you're gonna struggle and I think it it brought out a lot of this past year brought out a lot of things that have been wrong probably in all of us for a long time but we had to address them now yeah. um, and I, I think it was just difficult and I what I would say is just exactly what my sister said you don't run the marathon and so what so many families do is they take on the huge burden of trying to run that marathon with you, mm. but they don't. 
what you can do is stand by the sideline and hold a sign that says, I support you. Mm. I will do what you need. I will help feed you. I will help bathe you. Yeah. I, will, I will help with anything that you do. And I will stand at the finish line and watch you cross it. But I don't run it with you. You Beautiful. run it. Um, I just thought it was such a Brianna wrote that and I just thought it was such a beautiful vision of mm-hmm. understanding that it is a partnership you do need absolute help you have to have somebody yeah. you do, you just have to I went from kind of wanting relationships to needing them mm-hmm. for the first time ever in my life and it's such an interesting thing that you need someone desperately and yet they don't understand because they're not doing it themselves. But I think that that marathon metaphor makes it more clear that you don't have to. Mm. That you can run and then somebody can support you. What is your message to someone who is um, who is dealing with a, term, you know, a disease or cancer? Um, you being sucks. a survivor. <laughs> like, That's my message. <laughs> like, what, do you, what, what is your... Is there anything you can say to them, or is it more? To, I mean, you know, it's something like that. It's it's such a intense, real, overwhelming thing. And someone like me, if I were to sit across the table from you, I w- I wouldn't know what to say to right. you. You know what I mean? But you've yeah. been through it. You mm-hmm. understand it. What what would you say? I had I had in the beginning of my process, I had you know thousands of people writing in messages and thousands of people writing posts and comments on on my pages. And all of them were the same. I'm so sorry. I can't imagine what you're dealing with, but God has a plan. Just look up, have hope, have faith, have joy. And all of those things are true. There was one guy who had had cancer before, and he wrote something, and I laughed out loud. And it said, I heard you got cancer. That sucks. And that's it. That's all he wrote. And... I laughed out loud because it was the only one out of all of them that was exactly how I felt. Yeah. I heard you got cancer. That sucks. Did you know him? Nope. Did you respond like nope. to fun? How did you know he had cancer? He well, my sister responded to all of the, a lot of my yeah. messages for me and would read me um, yeah. their stories, and I was like, who who is that guy? Like, why would he say something like that? And then I, he was. We became friends on Facebook, but I still don't know him. But he would post about him going through chemo stuff, too. I mean, there was millions of strangers that posted everything, and I got cards and presents, and it was like Cancer Christmas a lot. But I, oh I know. Um, but it was the one I remember. Mm. And I would say, I'm sorry, and it sucks. Mm. And that's it. I, I don't have this beautiful, eloquent way to get through it. Mm. I don't have this ridiculously hopeful joy that you'll get through it. I don't know. Yeah. And I can't tell you. And I, I can tell you that now, after watching movies that are real hokey and have ridiculous endings and don't show the pain and the hurt that you go through, it makes me upset yeah. because it's not real life. Yeah. Real life is messy. Yeah. Real life is hurt. Real life is pain. Real life is depression. Real life is anxiety. Real life is sometimes you have joy and sometimes you have hurt. And sometimes it's just okay for it to just suck. I love that. And it just does yeah. sometimes and you can't make it better. 
Um, and so why? That's that's what I would say is I'm sorry it sucks. Yeah. In March, you posted, I was a keynote speaker at a women's conference this past weekend and had a realization I want to share my story with as many people as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. We live in a world where there is so much hurt and pain and confusion, but I feel like the Lord is calling me to be a light and spread as much hope as I can. Mm-hmm. And you've really already been, I mean, that's sort of been your life for the most part since 10 years old, right? I mean, besides L.A., um, I mean, you've kind of already been doing that, encouraging yeah. people and stuff. Um, so it's not exactly new to you. But what do you think has changed about your message now? Do you think it's become more real? Mm. You know, rather yeah. than just going like, I have this message of hope, I read in my Bible this morning, and everything's mm. sunky door. Now it's like, now it's, more serious, huh? It's more serious, and I, I didn't know what hope was. Mm. Um, mm. I really didn't. I didn't understand what hope was. Hope is not the smile you put on your face on Sunday morning when you're singing a song about Jesus. That's not hope. Um, hope is being in the trenches and not understanding how you're going to get out. Yeah. And saying, God, I don't get it. I really don't. And sometimes you even say, I, I don't get it and I don't appreciate it and I don't like it. I'm mad at you. But believing in God is the hope. Yeah. Even if you don't understand what he's doing. That's powerful. And it's, it's changed my whole life. I... Cancer hasn't just changed my body. It's changed who I am. And I didn't want it to. I wanted to be the same. But now, I would never go back to who I was before. And and in, in order to get this result of being able to relate and help change and help bring some sort of, some kind of comfort to anybody, I would go through it a hundred times mm-hmm. because... This, my life, what I'm living, being able to talk to people, being able to do anything that would help them listen and help bring them through is worth it. Yeah. It's worth the pain. I love how faith has really t- taken center stage over the last couple of years. So um, when did faith become a part of your story? It sounds like you grew up in a I did. A, I, gr- a Jesus I grew home. up in it. And I think we talked about it a little bit earlier. I, I grew up in a in a Jesus filled home. Um, but it was probably leaving leaving LA and coming back to Nashville, those those first moments of really having a conversation with the Lord that it turned from religion to relationship. Yeah. Um for someone that may be listening that like, you know, um may look at Christianity as a joke or is curious about it or not really knowing how to um, to uh, embrace it in their own life. Like, what is Christianity? What does that mean Yeah, for you? Christianity, to me, um, sometimes sounds like a bad word. <laughs> it, it can. It can. I mean, it's that's just what you hear. Christianity, I'm a Christian. That means I'm going to judge or whatever. But I think Christianity has to mean something different to every single person that's in it Mm -hmm. and for me for a long time it did mean religion it did mean putting on a fake facade um christianity and being a christian now and being spiritual means that i now know who i am and who made me and the only way that i got to figure that out was learning about who made me Mm -hmm. um and it i had to put out the voices of literally every single person in my life and figure that out for myself 
So Christianity to me is figuring out who you are. Mm-hmm. What um, I think we often uh, we we overlook the little things mm-hmm. in life, and um, and we want to do the big things or be about the big things when really it's probably the the sum of the little things that make up for the big things. Um, uh, some of the most moving like pictures and posts are of you in a room with someone else who's laying in a bed and you're asking everybody to pray for them. Are you going to continue to be a part of that narrative or are you just so sick of the hospital you want to be away from it and not have any part of it? It's this weird thing that happens. The hospital becomes your home Mm -hmm. and it's terrible and you hate being there, but at the same time, that's where you're comfortable. Mm -hmm. And so a friend of mine who I went through treatments with, she actually found out she was cancer-free right when I was starting my my, uh, last six months of treatment. And when I found out I was cancer-free, she found out that all of her cancer had returned. And she's 24. She's very young. Um, And I got to go through the whole next process with her and probably the only one in her life that really understood what it was like. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was so interesting. That was like when I was trying to get reacclimated back into regular life. And I found myself just retreating there to be with her Mm -hmm. because that's what I understood. That's what I knew and, and... that's still what I know, and I think I'll always feel weirdly at home in a hospital yeah. or in a doctor's office, and then I'll feel weird everywhere else. Yeah. Do you think it's going to be, have you felt, uh, um, has it been difficult to sort of flip the switch on, okay, life moves on? Oh, people got married and divorced and had babies and had a whole different life and people moved on without me yeah a lot of people didn't show up that I thought would and so I had to deal with the the hurt and pain of that um you know there there was a lot of stuff that happened that I didn't realize would but it's been so difficult to understand that who you were obviously has changed which means that your relationships and who people are changed too so you're not going to have everything that you had when you started. Yeah. Uh, when does Amanda Wilcox Patterson feel the most alive? During moments like this. Mm-hmm. That I get to share my dreams and my struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, that I get to share exactly what I went through and understand that whatever the circumstances, that's the end. It's okay. Yeah. This is my 12th podcast, and um, I'm still working on music. I've got some fun stuff I'm working on, but, like, as I told Joy, like, my wife, the thing that I struggle with right now is the thing that I love the most is the podcast because Mm -hmm. I sit down with people and have, like, real honest conversation about their life, and it's the most real thing I'm doing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, Music's fun. But like, there's something about like relationship, and it and it's made me realize how much I've probably missed out on people's lives by yeah. not sitting and asking questions and listening to them. You know, yeah. so it's been a good practice for me. So I completely relate with what your answer. Um, success, uh, lack thereof, uh, are closely closely related to habits mm-hmm. in our lives. Are are there any habits that you have? That you have in your day to day, or because I know I know artistic musician people can sort of be like, well, I just throw everything in the air and see what what lands or whatever. But like, are there habits that you stick with on a day to day basis? 
that's a great question and one that I or any habits you've let go of oh yeah absolutely um I mean my habits are probably more based emotionally than actually doing something um I think now I am in the habit of being a wife Mm. which I've never been before um I'm in the habit of I argue with my husband about money Mm. (laughs) which I never did before um I am in the habit of trying to figure out who cancer Amanda is mm. instead of uh, regular Amanda. And I'm in the habit of letting go of who I was before, which all sounds like negative things, but I get to reinvent who I am. Mm. Most people don't get that. I have a new name. I have a new last name. And when God was working with people, and, and this is something that I always thought was so beautiful and wished I could change my name. He always would sit down and when he was ready to really start working in their lives, he would change their names. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting because when I got done, I just had my last surgery um, last week. And I, when I got done, I sat down and I was like, okay, I have a new name. I'm a new person. Yeah. I have new struggles. I have new accomplishments and I want to be in the habit of saying, okay, and not trying to fight and not trying to wrestle against who I am, but just wrestling with God because that's okay. Yeah. Um, I think that we've, we've grown up in a society where it says walk the straight and narrow, act like you're fine, act like everything's going okay. When truthfully God wants us to wrestle with him, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And it's the fight that we may not win, you know, that fight with him because he's obviously right every time, which makes me so mad. <laughs> but it's the struggle yeah. that builds the relationship. Mm. Um, so I want to be in the habit of struggling. Yeah. I want to be in the habit of being real with the struggle. Um, I don't want to be in the habit of putting on a fake facade and pretending like everything is fine mm-hmm. because sometimes it's not yeah uh you know uh alcoholics once they're over alcoholism still carry the well i'm an alcoholic sort of thing mm-hmm. you're a survivor of cancer mm-hmm. you no longer have survivor in i mean cancer in you do you think it's going to be hard to let go of because you just mentioned cancer mm-hmm. amanda is it going to be hard to let go of the fact that that's not a part of you it's a part of your story mm-hmm. But you don't have to. You know, you no longer have to claim I'm a cancer patient. You know what I yeah, mean? I don't think you ever let go of it. Yeah. I. I mean, I've met. It's so funny because I've even doing shows. I've met people who were like, "I'm 40 year cancer survivor," which you would think after 40 years they wouldn't even remember. Right. They'd be like, eh, it was something that happened 40 years ago. Whatever. They wouldn't even bring it up." But it's something that never leaves you. Yeah. yeah. Um, because it's it is something that. You don't want to define you, but it does. Mm. And for a lot of people, it makes you better. And so it's not something I want to forget. It's not something I want to throw out of my mind and then just move on. Yeah. Um, it also means that I have to figure out what it is like to go on the other side and move forward. But I always want to remember mm. and have that be a part. Yeah. Probably helps with waking up with the grat uh the gratitude yeah. and the gratefulness best advice you've ever been given Ooh. 
Don't move to LA. <laughs> Don't move to LA. Um, figure out your journey. Somebody said that to me at the beginning of this process because I was wrestling so hard with what should I do and where should I go and what should I eat and um, and somebody said, no, you just need to figure out what's right for you. Mm. Figure out what's right for you. Um, figure out who you are and what that looks like for you. And do you think the journey chooses for you, though? No. I mean, I think the medicine chooses for you. If you choose to do the medicine, yeah. then after that, it chooses for you. Yeah. Um, but how you deal with it, mm. how you figure out what to do in your regular everyday life, you choose that. Yeah. I love that. It is, um, I do think our frame of mind is, and I, when you're the victim in the, or feel like a victim in the middle of life circumstance, it's hard to see it this way, but like we do have the ability to choose mm-hmm. one way or the other. Um, and I've seen people be in some pretty terrifying places mm-hmm. like yourself. I think that's an amazing thing. And I think that's what's been most impressive about you is watching you choose to have not or not take on the victim mentality mm. throughout the this whole situation. Not that you uh, shared every tear or every time that you were freaking out, you know, but like you have portrayed strength to me and I'm sure to everybody else. Mm. So it's a beautiful thing. Favorite smoothie at the juice bar. Ooh, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of really good ones. I'm gonna name a couple because they're all really good. The meant to be is heavenly for like those light summer days. Okay. Uh, the green smoothie is... It's right up here, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if I was going to stop and get one for the first time... I would say the green smoothie if you want to do like healthy but tastes really good. Okay. Yeah. I'll do that. Favorite books or what book are you reading right now that's really moving you? I just finished Scary Close and it's really good. And it says, dropping the act and finding true intimacy. And I'm shocked. I know. Everybody's shocked that I want to be doing that. And that's what I've been talking about. It's really good. That's awesome. Um, just a few more. Any mentors in your life? I, I do. Um, obviously, the counselor that I go to, she's an older woman, has been a rock and very steady. I still go. I think mm-hmm. I'll go. I'll try to go for the rest of my life until she won't see me anymore. Um, I had a woman who, uh, she ended up moving to Texas, but she was my mentor. Um before I ever even went through the process and helped me just spiritually grow leaps and bounds. Um, I'm, I think my parents have been incredible mentors. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Uh, any regrets? Mm, I would say no. It's so difficult because I do regret not coming to the realization of who I was before I did, but I mean, obviously, the timing of me meeting Reed was perfect, mm-hmm. and the I I learned that I didn't just want him; I needed him. And then I would say no. Yeah. Um, I don't think you can regret. Yeah. I think you can get to the place where enough is enough, and you need to either step up or shut up. Um, and I've definitely gotten there a ton, and wish that I would have done things differently, but. They turned out exactly how they were supposed to. Mm-hmm. And so there's nothing else to really regret. Yeah. As you adapt and readapt, um, 
if there's one thing uh, you'd like to request for prayer from people who may be listening, mm -hmm. what would that be? To let go of the small things and help me remember where I've been mm -hmm. and how far God has taken me. Obviously, I don't think any of us will ever be exactly where we want to be, but we're not where we were. And I want to remember that I'm not where I was. And I, I'm going to pray for myself and for everybody else that where we will be is not where we are right now. Mm -hmm. And that we'll constantly be growing and learning and becoming and being more. Because we do have the opportunity and the ability to be more, not because of us, but because God does it. Yeah. Uh, what goals or what, what has you excited right now? The movie definitely has me excited. Um, talk about being able to share your story with the masses. Mm -hmm. And especially in our culture today, we need we need hope. Yeah. We need something more. <laughs> and um, being able to, to share that and be able to do that. Um, finishing the book. I'm going to start working on new music. But honestly, just living. Yeah. Living makes me excited yeah. and happy to be doing it. Uh what do you want to be most remembered for? Mm. If there's one thing that someone could say about that Amanda, she sure... Loves well. Mm. Which I'm not great at. And I, I think it's a hard thing to do. Mm. And will probably take most of my life. But when I get to the end of it, and thankfully that end is not now, I want to be able to look back and say that I loved well. And sometimes I can't. It's beautiful. Well, I want to tell you thank you. Yeah. And um, thank you for being vulnerable uh, with sharing your life, uh, for struggling well, uh, for being a light in your darkness, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, for giving back, and uh, and for honoring me with the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And it's, it's good to see you and to see you healthy and um, to see you with muscles on your arms. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit but um I'm gonna post all of your uh your links so everybody can find you and stuff but um any final words before we close out mm. well thank you for mm. having me on here um I would just say that it's not over I mean for anybody going through anything it's not over mm -hmm. that tomorrow will come and that, I mean, it sounds so cliche, but there is joy in the morning. And just to hold on. Yeah. And sometimes that's all you can muster is just the strength to hold on. Love you. Thank you very much. Of course. God Thank bless. You for having me.